0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to this Regulation Tomorrow Plus podcast. I'm Simon Lovegrove, Global Director of Financial Services Knowledge at Northern Rose Fulbright, and today I'm joined by Jonathan Herbst and Matthew Gregory, who are members in our London Financial Services team. In this podcast, Jonathan and Matthew will be sharing their thoughts on the PRA's recently issued supervisory statement on branch authorisation and supervision, supervisory statement 521, which came with policy statement 1921. Importantly, as part of pre-authorization discussions, the PRA will expect EU firms within the UK's temporary permissions regime to demonstrate how they intend to meet the expectations set out in the new supervisory statement. So welcome, Jonathan and Matthew. And to begin with, I just want to start by getting your thoughts on how the final version of the supervisory statement compares with the one that was consulted on. I know that you were both looking at the consultation draft closely, assisting an industry body.
1: Thanks, Simon. Uh, yes, I, the, the final supervisory statement um, does differ in a number of ways to the one which was consulted upon. I, I don't think there are any really surprising changes, but hopefully the PRA has responded to a number of the uh, comments and requests for clarification and further detail, which industry made during the consultation phase. And as as you mentioned, that we were also involved in. And I think there are some areas where there's really useful further detail. Obviously, the overall schema of responsible openness, which the PRA um, sketches out its expectations under is is welcome, uh, particularly for international firms. There's a, a clear explanation of the ways in which the PRA expects branches uh, to have arrangements in place as distinct from subsidiaries, and those comments are, are throughout the supervisory statement. There are a couple of areas that I know we're going to pick up on uh, during this podcast, Simon, which are around information sharing and proportionality. Uh, and I think those are particularly uh, areas where uh, smaller firms, particularly those currently in the TPR, will, have, uh, will, will, will particularly welcome. The final point I would just make is that there are... Uh, quite significant additional uh, comments made in connection with requirements around operational resilience and expectations in connection with the home state supervisor. Overall, uh, the macro message, I think, on the relationship and supervisory cooperation between uh, the PRA and the home state supervisor and between the bank and home state resolution authorities is, of course, that the greater the degree of
2: cooperation there, then the more latitude the local entity will have in the UK. Um, And and Matt, uh, maybe just to pick up on a couple of points on that, I agree with all the points to be made. Number one, I think the overall flavour of the so-called responsible openness approach has not changed. And I think in English, what that really means is that PRA continues to have, as is in the the earlier drafts and in earlier policy statements, um, you know, very, very significant regulatory flexibility on all of this. And I think that's the key thing that will really be of note to people. Um, And so it is very much a bespoke negotiation. It's extremely helpful to have the supervisory statement, but ultimately it's a case-by-case negotiation in many, many respects.
0: Thanks, Jonathan. Uh, Matthew, just turning to you now, uh, the new supervisory statement deals with supervisory cooperation and information sharing between regulators, which I know is something that
1: you've been looking at. Would you care to comment Yeah, thanks, Simon. I mean, I think this fits within the head of the PRA's expectations around effective supervision. I know that's a a term which the regulator has a large degree of discretion uh, in terms of setting its expectations. But the point on information sharing really is that in the new supervisory statement, there are helpful comments made around normal market conditions and the ways in which the PRA will generally expect to receive a baseline body of information from international banks. And what is helpful, I think, for smaller market participants is that the PRA will seek to obtain most of the information from the firm's home state supervisor during routine supervisory engagements. That should limit the burden to a degree on the firm in the UK, particularly where that's a branch. Of course, the UK branches will still uh, note the references in the supervisory statement to the PRA wishing to meet with management at head office. And, of course, there'll be the usual political issues for a branch to manage in the UK, as between uh, the triumvirate of PRA, branch and head office in terms of information sharing and, and the usual uh, interplays that are that, that go on there in order to ensure that the information being presented to the regulator is up to date and is also the type of information which meets the, the requirements of the regulator here in the UK. Uh,
0: and Jonathan, just turning to you now, the PRA sets out its expectations for booking arrangements in box two of the new supervisory statement. What are some of the key points that firms need to be aware of?
2: Thanks, Simon. So I think there's good news and uh, maybe maybe slightly less good news. I think the good news is the PRA has absolutely reconfirmed its case-by-case flexible approach to booking arrangements. I think the thing that not as much may concern people, but at least people need to take seriously, are the six areas they specifically call out in the box. So just to quickly touch on some of the more significant points. Firstly, there needs to be the clear rationale for the booking model. That's not a new point, but you know, it's a significant contrast to the ECB's somewhat more, um, you know, prescriptive approach. I think PRA is indicating that it is open to different models depending on how they are justified. For example, origination versus booking. You know, both ways between the UK and head office. So I think I think that's helpful, but it will need to be explained clearly who's doing what, and of course that then translates into senior management responsibilities and the whole question of the perimeter of the responsibility of UK management. So that's something banks need to be thinking about quite carefully. A Couple of other areas I just pick up, I'm not gonna go through all six of the areas, There's not time on this, but just to pick up a couple of others that I think are important. I think there's the question of local risk management capability. And this has always been a controversial point, particularly for smaller to middle-sized branches, but even for some larger ones we've worked with where, office may actually provide on an outsourced basis a great deal of the operational risk, Uh, I say operational risk in the broader sense, not operational risk technically, Um, the operation of risk uh, piece of the the jigsaw and the whole question is what do you need to have in the UK Um, and of course as people know you know if you are a larger branch you probably are going to be expected to have uh, um, an SMF4 and then the question is, how does that work for smaller branches? And will there be an expectation? So I think that's something that's an open open book. Um, just to pick up on one or two other final points. Uh, firstly, there's the, the old chestnut of certainly subsidiaries being profitable in their own right, not just having a loss-making operation in the UK. I think that's an important point the PRA has reiterated. And you know that has real significance in the context of group structures. And finally, again, never to be forgotten, is the link through to recovery and resolution, that you know the, the recovery and resolution planning within the branch needs to fit into the entity as a whole. And certainly if you have a sub, it needs to fit into the group. So net-net, reasonably flexible case-by-case approach, but you know it is definitely worth looking carefully at box two. There's lots packed away in there.
0: Thanks, Matthew. Um, it just leads me to a follow-up question, perhaps for you, Jonathan. Um, how prescriptive is the supervisory statement around the branch governance
2: model? Oh, thanks, Simon. Um, so I guess the good news here is nothing radical has changed. You continue as a bank to have flexibility on your branch governance model. Um, clearly, it's the old chestnut of you know responsibility and power need to flow with each other. And what I mean by that is to the extent that the UK-based senior managers take the senior management responsibilities and genuinely have that power, then effectively head office people can remain outside scope, largely speaking. But clearly, and they touch on this explicitly in the supervisory statement, to the extent that there are, for example, global functions that are, the power really sits with head office, know, for example, perhaps cyber or some other kind of risk that is dealt with at head office level, then you've got the whole chestnut of SMF sevens in, in play and certainly for larger branches that's a very real issue as we've seen so I think the answer to the question is it's a horses for courses kind of thing you've got to think carefully about your model but when having that conversation with head office they've got to get real on the reality that if they want the power and are not prepared to dedicate that to London people then they are going to have to come into our regime in one way or another so that's the nutshell answer I think.
0: Thanks Jonathan and my thanks also to Matthew. This concludes today's podcast but before we go don't forget that on the 1st of September we are running a webinar for EU firms currently in the temporary permissions regime called the UK TPR is ending what should EU firms do next. Further information can be found on the Regulation Tomorrow blog or the Northern Rose Fulbright website. Thanks for listening. Take care. Goodbye.